Welcome to Deeper Walks on the Trail podcast. You are on the trail with father-daughter duo Marcus and Stephanie Warner. I'm Stephanie, and I'll be talking with my father, Dr. Marcus Warner, as we discuss topics that help you stay on the trail to a deeper walk with God. Episode 54. Today, we are continuing our discussion about the joy elevator and the pain processing pathway. Hello, father. Hello, daughter. It is Independence Day week in the United States of America. And you know what? People like to celebrate with fireworks. Grace, grace to the dogs. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, But I I love how fireworks just like brings a community together. Um, I was just reflecting how so many holidays are things you do internally, you know, even if you have a few friends over for a barbecue or something like which often happens for 4th of July, like this is one of the, those unique holidays that really bring brings everybody together, your friends, your family, complete strangers, like everybody comes out. And um, it's really cool. It's like it's a call for a people group to come together and remember who we are. And it's intergenerational and it's scalable from, you know, the intimate friends to complete strangers. And so, you know, just been reflecting on that and being grateful for that sort of a festivity. Um, and I will also say on a more intimate level, um, one of the things I always think about when I think about 4th of July is how you always um, find a way to take mom to like one of the highest hills you can find in the area so she can see all the fireworks all around and how much she loves that. And that delights me. So. Nobody enjoys fireworks quite as much as your mom. So <laughs> she loves them. <laughs> it's and... a it's an easy win on my part. Let's go see fireworks. Yes. yes. She loves them and she loves sharing them. Yeah. And so you do a really good job with that. And yeah. So do you ha- do you have a favorite firework style? Style? Yeah, like yeah, Ooh, I like uh, yeah. The, I, I tend to like the uh, blue and gold ones that crackle as they uh, as they fall down. I don't know what they're called, but mm-hmm. yeah, those are my favorites. I remember as a kid, you know, liking uh, yeah the ones that uh, fell down like a waterfall kind of thing. Yeah, and, it's like the willow tree, the golden yeah, willow, the tree willow tree ones. Tree those ones. are my favorite. Yeah, and I also remember we had a whole. Uh, history where it felt like there was always a storm in the distance on the 4th of July. So we yes. remember that? We oh, would, yeah. They're God's fireworks. Yeah. It's yeah. tradition. Yeah. God's fireworks versus man's fireworks. We'd have a little competition. There's lightning flashing in the distance and there's fireworks going off here. Those were the coolest ones. Yes. Yes. No. Now that you mentioned that, that is a strong core fireworks and 4th of July memory for me is, yeah, it did feel like every year that Yeah. There was a happen. string of years there where that happened. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I also remember going to the symphony on the prairie one time and they ended one of the songs with a ginormous I was I was a child so it probably wasn't as big as I thought but I, mean, I felt like the firework took up the entire sky it was crazy but anyway there it was. we go happy memories yeah <laughs> building some joy so um to to turn back to our last um episode we we started a very uh important and deep conversation um about brain science and pain processing pathways you know I've um I've heard you and Jim Wilder make the profound statement that suffering becomes trauma when we feel alone in it. Um, In order order for suffering to keep from becoming traumatic, our brains need to process the pain at all five levels of the pain processing pathway. So level one, attachment. Level two, assessment. Level three, attunement. Level four, action. And level five, narrative 
or if you want another A, I think you've said articulation. Um, (laughs) And last episode, we started talking about this pathway and how to meet someone's pain at each level. And we made it through level one. Huzzah! (laughs) (laughs) So let's see how far we get in this episode. I'm a little relieved. When you said we were going to continue, I thought we were going to talk more about the girl who dumped me. But okay. (laughs) All right. Good. We're uh, talking about the brain. Do you need to to go back and finish processing that pain? No, I think we're good. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah. Okay. So for real, is there anything else that you wanted to say on level one that we didn't get to because we kind of had to just cut off? You know, it, it helps me to think about it uh, that at that attachment level is where the addiction is is forming because it also helps us understand that addiction recovery, a large part of that has to do with forming attachments, joy, relationally joyful attachments to take the place of those other ones. And that's why it's so hard to just say no. You actually have to have a replacement uh, uh attachment that's bringing real joy is as a significant part of whatever addiction recovery method you use. Mm-hmm. So that helps me think about it too. Yeah, no, that's key. All right, level two, the assessment. Um, we spent some time talking about this just a few episodes ago. Level two is our amygdala. Um, the last of, or the task of level two is assessment. It's to evaluate the safety of a situation. So do you want to talk to us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so this is really the uh, the level that controls our joy switch, as Chris Corsi would call it. And so when we talk about having a switch on the side of our brain that allows us access to our higher level emotions, if our switch goes off, it is almost be- always because of what happens here. So I did hear, uh, we did a uh, conference on, on DID uh, several years ago, and uh, Jim Wilder was a presenter, I was a presenter, we had Elaine Packle and some others, Dan Rumberger was there, and we, uh, but I remember Jim saying that one of the differences between like a buried memory and one that we can recall is how deep down in the brain I got triggered and that how deep down the, the triggering was that shut things off. And so there, um, if it makes it up to level three, I can usually recall the memory. If it got buried below down at levels one and two, then oftentimes I won't remember it. And uh, so that can apply to all kinds of things because there's people who don't remember traumatic things that happened to them. And it's usually because the brain processing pathway part of that got shut down right here at level two and didn't make it up to level three. I, that's more of a curiosity to me. I don't know how relevant it is to everyday life, but for some people it's extremely relevant. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, But it helped me th- uh, think about that. And we've already talked quite a bit about taming the amygdala and the soothing things that we can do to help with that. But that, again, is our fight and flight center. That's largely what's happening there. Mm-hmm. So, so will you give just quickly, what is the solution? Yeah, the word we use here is soothe, right? Yeah. And that is, so the intervention is, I want to do something to soothe that. That's where we use the best practices for calming or quieting. And so it's breathing, deep breathing, and getting control of my ner- central nervous system. And uh, it's exaggerating emotions and then <sighs> quieting them again. It's soothing by kind of rubbing out the tension from different muscle groups, tightening them and relaxing them and all those things that we do. Um, it can also be uh, things that you do to shock your body, like take a cold shower or splash cold water in your face or take a hot bath and, you know, have candles or whatever you know, people do that makes them uh, some people like a weighted blanket or something like that, that just is soothing to them and helps them to quiet or calm. 
Um, it can even be like for us, we use a, like a fan in the background when going to sleep. And sometimes, you know, just having that sound is, is enough to kind of trigger something for us. It's, you know, it's time to quiet and mm-hmm. sleep. Thank you. All right. Level three, moving on up the elevator. The task of level three is attunement. It's seeking to understand each other's feelings. Um, and when feeling, when stuck, the feeling is being overwhelmed with emotions and, you know, maybe just wanting to. I just want to be understood or I, I'm, but not on a narrative level, but sure. like on an attunement level. So level three, let me describe uh, this one. Camp out here for just a little bit. Yeah, okay. So level three, um, in our book, Rare Leadership in the Workplace, uh, Dr. Wall and I describe this as the uh, brain's radar is something that's constantly running in the background and it will alert your brain on what it should focus on. So at a leadership level, right? a big part of leadership is that intuitive sense of this is what needs our focus right now. And you can't really put it into words why that needs our focus. It's not always metric driven. Sometimes it's just kind of this gut feeling this needs our attention. And so there are obvious things that happen with this where, uh, you know, I'm in a room because my radar is going all of a sudden I see something flash on the side and I realize, Oh, a mouse just ran along the side (laughs) of the wall. Maybe it's time to go get a cat. You know, so there was a, uh, that's that that's happened before but what's happening is my focus wasn't there but because the radar was running in the background it it had got my attention and said no give that your focus right now and so this happens a lot so that you can think about this part of my brain as that radar system uh there's a really good youtube on this um trying to remember the guy's name i think it's ian mcgilchrist uh dr ian mcgilchrist he's scottish neuroscientist and so he's got this delightful Scottish accent, right? And he's uh, teaching behind one of those uh, th- cartoon things that draws itself out while he's talking. So there's constantly something new coming onto the art. But one of the stories he tell- tells in this uh, um, presentation uh, is like a, 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 a like a bird that is trying to be very focused on pecking seeds from among pebbles. And so that's a high focus job. Well, the left hemisphere of the brain is what excels at focus. The right hemisphere of the brain, particularly this level three, is what is telling my left brain where to focus. Now, if you've ever watched a bird do this, what you'll notice is is that birds will peck, 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 and then they'll look, right? They'll peck, and then they'll lift their heads, and they look around from right to left, and then they go back to pecking, and then they're up, and they're looking around. So a bird brain, (laughs) right, is is stereotypically because it is tiny, they can't do both processes simultaneously as easily as us. So you actually get to watch them shifting from being right brain oriented, looking around to being left brain oriented, you know, focusing. But you you think about he's got to have a a high level of focus to make sure he's getting seeds and not pebbles. At the same time, he has to be aware of the surroundings. Like, do I have family members nearby who need my help? Is there a predator nearby that may want to eat me? You know, that, that radar has to be constantly going in the background. So this part of my system is also the part that I, that allows me to read body language. So, Leaving aside then this bird analogy for a second, the other thing and the radar analogy, the other thing that that happens at this level that you may have heard in life model circles is mutual mind. So mutual mind is happening when my level three and your level three are attuning to each other. And so as I look at you right now, you look at me, 
right? We're reading each other's body language. And we even, it mean, it's not at the level of conscious thought. I'm not putting it into words. I'm not trying to analyze what's going on, but I will have feelings. I will have, you know, intuition about where this is going. And I can either read you correctly or I can misread you, right? You can read me correctly or misread me. I might look at you and go, oh, she's like mad at me. It's like, oh no, she's just hungry. Or maybe, you know, mm-hmm. you, know you can misread people and, uh, but you can actually carry on full conversations this way, right? Just by my singular level three and your level three being in sync, we can have full conversations. Like if there's a third person in the room, we can communicate a whole lot to one another about what we think about that third person, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And and so that's what we mean by mutual mind. We are at this moment sharing a similar. We're on a we're we're in sync with one another. We are attuned with one another. We are on the same page. And we can communicate. I might even be able to to communicate to you non-verbally this way, leave the room right now or go shut that door or go do something. We, there's a whole lot you can communicate. So uh, one of the things they do at Thrive Training, for example, Thrive Today, is they will do nonverbal stories. And one of the reasons they do the nonverbal stories is they are strengthening this part of the brain and its ability to read read people, to sync with people, and to enter into that mutual mind state. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what this reminds me of is I had a friend in undergrad and we were really good at mutual mind. Like we spent lots of time together and um, she caught on. She was just delighted that I seemed to be able to read her mind. <laughs> and we we would be sitting across from each other like at lunch. Warfare cure yeah. for that. But, okay, no, <laughs> just but like we, you know, we would be sitting in a group of people talking and she literally would stop every now and then she would just kind of stop so that I could finish her sentence, you know, or add to the story or whatever, because we could just tell that we both knew what was going on. Like we both were on the same page. We were in sync and we knew what the other person was probably thinking and yeah, we could read each other's, each, yeah, yeah we could, could read each other's body language and yep. we knew the context. And what was interesting was we actually, you know, because of study abroads and different things, we, we spent almost a year apart and, I noticed a distinct difference where we hadn't been in that close relationship anymore and, and doing all this. And there was one time when she stopped expecting me to like <laughs> jump right in. And I was like, I'm, I'm not there. I'm not there. I, don't, I didn't have that same attunement anymore because we hadn't been spending all that time together where we could read each other really well anymore. But it just, yeah, there's a, there's an intimacy and a friendship and a, um, that can happen too with mutual mind. No, it is. it's an important, it's a very important function in our human experience because I you know you hear people all the time say 90% of communication is nonverbal. Well, that's largely happening here at this level three attunement level. This is also where we start getting into the idea of listening prayer. And so in uh, my book, A Deeper Walk, when we talk about listening prayer, so there's two kinds. There's right brain listening prayer, left brain listening prayer. So the left brain part is kind of easy because God sort of overrides the system and just talks to you. <laughs> and uh, it's just mostly at that point a matter of recognizing that these words in my head are coming from God. Although he can make it clearer than that. He can give visions and dreams and send angels and, you know, all kinds of stuff that happens like that in the Bible. The, but there is something like a mutual mind state with God in which it is a nonverbal uh, communication in which we are simply in sync with his spirit. And so, whereas we can't read God's body language because he's invisible, there is still this inner sense that you get that we're on the same page here. 
And that is reflected largely in the sense of peace, that I have a sense of peace about what's going on here, that I feel like, yeah, this is right. I may have a sense that uh, that something hard is correct, but there's still a sense of peace that this is what God's asking me to do. And so that mutual mind state with with God, um, often then after I've been in that mutual mind state, I can then put into words what was going on, but they're not words at the time that it happens. Same thing like you and I, if we share mutual mind together afterwards, I could put into words kind of what was going on, but at the time you're just experiencing it. And that's kind of what uh, that you know walk with God is like at that level where you're, you're you're experiencing mutual mind with him is you're just sort of experiencing the sense of what he's where he's taking you with things and and what is bringing you a sense of clarity and peace and then later you can often put it into words and uh, but that's what we mean by mutual mind and all of that is happening at level three and it's why you know, the things that we do to build this part of our, our our brain help us to be more relationally engaged with other people. Mm-hmm. So if if I am feeling stuck or somebody else is feel, feeling stuck at this level, what are the interventions here? So well, there are some exercise interventions that you can do. Um, the I think we called this the share level. Uh, support. Share or support. Mm-hmm. In uh, building bounds, we call it support, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So the idea is let me support you in doing this. Let me come alongside of you and help you do this, as opposed to let me show you how to do it or just tell you how to do it. And uh, so one of the things that we do, for example, is you can grow this through charades, right? These nonverbal stories and <laughs> things like this is a way of growing your ability to get in sync with people. Uh, you can... Uh, you can do this through eye contact and you're specifically trying to be left eye to left eye. Brilliant. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Left. And, We're not on video right now. They yeah. Can't see us. But it's like, <laughs> if you're going left eye to left eye, you know, what's happening there is like, that is like the most intimate thing because the, the right hemisphere of my brain that remembers who I am is controlling my left eye because it flips like that. And so that is where we have the greatest connection. And so if I can share joy at that level with somebody and we can, you know, read, then that helps to strengthen uh, a whole lot of things that are functioning in my brain. So there are, that's why, again, I, I go back to Thrive Training because they they actually have developed exercises to help strengthen this part of, of, of brain function. But in general, what we're talking about is I do this by um, supporting you and uh, and sharing experiences with you that uh, that help this part of my brain to grow. I don't think this part of the brain can grow apart from relational experience, right? I need to have somebody else there practicing for this part of my brain to grow, which is why you can't just go to a counselor all the time and get it. Mm. All right. So are we moving up the elevator? Let's move up level the elevator. Level four. Yeah, level four. Um, so level four is the uh, right orbital prefrontal cortex, right? So that is the, uh, I just like saying that. I practice a long time to be able to rattle that off. The, uh, But it's the right hemisphere. Orbital means behind the eye. Eye is orb. Uh, prefrontal, it's in the front part of uh, the brain. And it's the cortex, it's this outer layer. So the idea here is that um, this part of my uh, brain, right behind my right ear, eye, we, is what we call the joy center. It's also my identity center. 
I've always loved the fact that joy and identity are so intimately connected the way God designed our brain. And so we have, uh, uh, this is, again, the part of the brain that we want to be in control of things. Because when I'm functioning from this level of my brain, I will act the most like myself. I'll be the most relational. I'll be the most engaged. Um, I'm going to do my best thinking, my best problem solving. I'm going to do my best analysis work. And when this thing is in charge, this part of my brain is in charge, you get my best self. And so that's the goal is to not let, um, to regulate our emotions in such a way that I keep this part of my brain engaged. So the stronger that this part of my brain develops through joy, through all kinds of joyful connections through the years, through a collection of memories that tell me this is who I am, the more consistent and organized my identity is, then this part of my brain can actually regulate things that are sent up to me from the amygdala. So in other words, the amygdala can get triggered. It can send a scary message up the up the line. But if I have a strong enough, well enough developed fourth floor here, that floor can say, you know what, that's okay. I know how it's like me to act when this happens. I, uh, I, I, this is, doesn't have to be overwhelming. Let's, uh, let's everybody calm down. Let's all, uh, you know, let's do some soothing and some breathing. We'll be fine. And now this is what we're going to do. And so it's possible for this part of my brain to stay in charge, even when it gets these signals. And that's kind of what we mean by maturity, Right, I know that I've developed my maturity when I am able to keep this part of my brain in control and in charge, even when I'm getting triggered by or getting these impulse things sent up from my amygdala and telling me that I'm in a bad situation or in a scary situation. So uh, one of the ways we do this is we have to grow this through joy workouts, which are, again, always relational. As I am uh, developing the ability to learn, and my brain is learning, how is it like me to act when this happens? How do I not turn into somebody else when this happens? Uh, how do I grow such a strong core identity that I'm not constantly flipping, you know, becoming a different person every time I feel an upsetting emotion? Mm-hmm. On a basic level, the I, I'm thinking about a, a chart that is in. It's in the Journey Group's curriculum, but I think it's based off of uh, a chart in Chris Corsi's book, Transforming Fellowship, where it just goes through each task of the levels and then what you're feeling at each, if you're stuck at each, and then where what the solution is um, or the intervention. And here, the task of level four is action um, or responding to a situation. And when you're feeling stuck, you might be feeling inadequate or like, I don't know what to do, um, which would a solution would be engaging the mirror neurons and and get, having an example and like showing you what to do. Um, so could you talk more in, about the intervention there? Yeah, if I'm not acting like myself or if I'm with somebody who isn't acting like themselves. Mm-hmm then what I kind of want to do is hold a little bit of a mirror up to them so to try to activate their mirror neurons and get a picture of what they're actually doing. And so this is where a healthy shame message comes in. Like, hey, doesn't feel like you're acting like yourself right now. It seems like maybe you're uh, – this doesn't feel like you. And so when I say healthy shame message, I'm not trying to generate a toxic reaction from them. 
I'm trying to call them their attention to the fact that they are not acting like themselves right now. So how I do that could look a lot of different ways. Like, you know, dads are famous for being able to just give a look. <laughs> and that look is communicating, hey, uh, you're not really acting like yourself right now. And we uh, handle this in a more relational way. Um, moms are famous for looks like that, too. But I think that we have this um, idea that I, I that's what I'm ultimately trying to do. My intervention here is in showing you like this. That, I'm going to say that that description be, is a little bit of attunement. It is attunement, but it is a uh, but it is attunement in the sense of it's not stopping at me attuning to you. It's me taking it to the next step and showing you what this looks like. Mm -hmm. And so I may be showing you what, reminding you of what it would look like to act like yourself here. And so I might do that by modeling it. I might do that by reminding you of it. But at some level, I'm trying to help you uh, get back to, to, to functioning at that level of your, your operating system. So that's a key part of the solution. All right. So we could go up to level five right now, or we could take one more episode to do level five and wrap things up. Yeah, no, you. there's there's some more things we probably should uh, hit on the, this other one anyway. So, um, so you want to do you want to give some final thoughts for this episode and go on to another? Ep you know, continue the discussion next time. That sounds good. I just I had a final thought and I lost it. I'm okay, sure. well, let me pause then by. Just saying, um, if people want to find out more about Joy Elevators and Pain Processing Pathway, um, I know Joy Ele Elevators, you talk about in Rare Leadership yes. and Building Bounce. And again, I recommend Journey Group's curriculum. Uh, it's written by Amy Hamilton Brown. It's excellent small group curriculum that not only teaches a wealth of information that draws from Deeper Walk, Life Model Works, Thrive Today, and more, but it really encourages practice, which is how transformation happens. Um, and there are two levels, two books. Um, and both talk about the joy elevator, but journey groups level two has a whole unit that goes through each stage of the joy elevator and explains the task, its feeling, its need. Um, so I really encourage people to check that out. So any final thoughts, Father? Yeah, I I think uh, Dr. Rother calls this a level of the captain a lot of the times, and, and, and for good reason. Like I've said many times, this is the part of the brain I want in charge, because if I can, if I can, this part of my brain can grow for as long as I, I live. And it grows with the experience of joy. It collects all the memories of how it's like me to act when things, when these happen. And so the encouraging thing here is that this is some, this is a part of my brain that grows with appreciation. It grows with relational interaction. It grows, you know, the, the, it's constantly updating and constantly expanding. And so um, the good news here is that uh, wherever you're at right now, that has the ability to grow. One last thing, too, as I think about this, is that the um, what's really helped me to think about this is the idea of the ring in the brain of the infant. <laughs> and that is that when an infant is born, they have no ability to act like themselves with the various emotions that they feel. And so an infant will literally, the brain will act like a totally different person with every emotion that they feel. So, But there is like this ring around their identity center that is gradually connecting to each emotion that they can feel and then connecting it to their identity center. And it helps me think that an infant has to learn how to feel all the various emotions and without turning into a different person. 
the more successful the infants and toddlers are in doing this, the more organized of a personality they're going to have, the more, the more integrated and fully functional they have, and the least the less likely they are going to be to turn into somebody else when they feel these upsetting emotions. So if I find that I am 62 and still turning into a different person when I feel an emotion, it means that those parts of my brain are still not developed. And that means I'm going to need to do some work to uh, to focus on that. So that's where I practice appreciation. It's where I do storytelling. It's where I am actively working on collecting stories about how to act like myself when I feel that emotion and, and, and building those skills. So that ring picture kind of helped me. Like I picture it like a ring with strings attached to all the various different emotions and that if I, I do this well, then no matter what emotion I feel, they'll all have a pathway back to my core identity so that I keep acting like myself. Thank you. This is deep and helpful and wow. And it's always a pleasure to talk to you. So thanks. And hey, thank you all for joining us on the trail today. Deeper Walk exists to make heart-focused discipleship the norm for Christians everywhere. If you'd like to support this cause, you can become a Deeper Walk Trailblazer with your monthly donation of $25 or more. And if you want to keep going deeper with us on your walk with God, please subscribe to the On the Trail podcast, leave a review, and share with your friends. Thanks again. We'll see you back next week.